Did you know that nearly nine out of 10 home buyers say they'd use a buyer's agent when purchasing a home again? Buyer representation really matters when there's 111 to-dos. Visit Realtor.com slash Buyer Agent Toolkit and spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. You can dominate a local area and be very, very successful. You don't need to be the best in the state, the best in your county, the best in your city. You can take a couple neighborhoods and you can make an entire lifetime of living if you're really good at that neighborhood. It doesn't matter where you live. If you say, hey, I want to dominate this area where I live, and you actually spend time, effort, energy, you're doing your open houses there, your marketing campaigns, newsletters, churches, events, it takes one or two or three listings, a couple sales, and people start to pay attention because you're telling them to pay attention. And then you can slowly start to take over these areas. It's consistent. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing industry. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Program Specialist here at HW Media, and I am here to invite you today to our next event this summer. You might be wondering, how do you build a resilient brokerage, or how are execs at companies like Remax and Keller Williams being strategic? Well, you can learn from the greatest minds in real estate at this year's Gathering of Eagles event. Join us in Austin, Texas, June 18th through 21st, as we bring together the most elite brokerage, association, and team leaders, C-suite leaders, and top producing agents to grow, network, and really set the pace for what's next in our industry. As a valued podcast listener, we're offering 25% off the event just for you. Use the code PODCAST23 on the events page on Realtrends.com. Again, that is PODCAST23, and we can't wait to see you in Austin. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt. I'm the Senior Director of Data and Content for HW Media. And today I'd like to welcome Jason Mitchell. He is the CEO of the Jason Mitchell Group in Scottsdale, Arizona. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really want to start because I think to set up our whole conversation, um, the audience needs to really understand your business model. I know that you do a lot of referral business with lenders. Um, you're a preferred partner for Zillow Home Loans, Rocket Home, um, Bank of America, Veterans United, and quite a few others. So tell me a little bit about your business model and how you developed it. It's very unique in the sense that one single platform brokerage uh, Jason Mitchell Real Estate, JMG, as, we, as we're called, JMG Holding Partners. Um, in 34 states, we really, 90% of our business comes from referral partners. And so we're not a traditional brokerage where we're just recruiting and hiring any agent who wants to transact and take a cut of the commissions or a cut of the transaction fees and then supplying you know, technology and culture uh, our, our bread and butter is we supply a tremendous amount of opportunity to the agents that work at JMG if they qualify and if they continue to do well. Our average agent receives somewhere in the ballpark of about 120 referrals a year. 
and closes 30 plus additional transactions because we're, we're still rather small, even though we're in all those states, we keep it pretty small. We only have, we have about 400 referral agents that are part of the referral team. And then we have 600 total uh, at the brokerage that, you know, utilize us for the resources and whatnot, but the bread and butter are the referrals. And so uh, this year we'll do somewhere around 70,000 ish referrals uh, to those network of agents. And we add agents every month, Um, but it is very unique because our brokerage is really based around servicing organizations, you know, very much B2B. And so all of our systems and tech and everything that we do is centered around making sure that their client has a great experience with our agent. So we're always connecting the dots between either be loan officer and our agent, whether it be companies like Ideal Agent and somebody that wants to sell their home and send to us. You got Zillow, which is more um, not, you know, typically before pre-qual when you talk about Zillow in itself, the Flex program. So there's a variety of partnerships and and we create customized campaigns for every single one of those partnerships. Um, And, you know, we we got it down now because we've been doing it a while. You know, we... I kind of saw this future years and years and years ago. I'm from Detroit. And so uh, I got a call one day from uh, Rocket, which was at that time Quicken Loans, saying, hey, we have this referral program that you should be a part of. I I have deep ties there, obviously. And, you know, that was probably 2010. So this is, what, 13 years ago. And so I started working their referrals and I thought, okay, what I'm seeing here is that big business is starting to own the consumer. Where I used to have access to the consumer first because the consumer would come to me. I started in real estate in 02. So in 02, 03, 04, even up until basically 2008, 9, when the recession hit, consumers were going to Jason Mitchell and Jason Mitchell was saying, talk to my lender and I'll set you up with my own search because there was no Zillow at that time. There was no Zip Realty at that time. And so we were really the connector of everything as a real estate professional, where today we're more facilitators. People find their own home online. They go to Zillow, they go to Realtor, they go to you know wherever. And then a lot of times now they're actually calling a lender first and getting pre-qualified. So we become, in a sense, the last piece of the puzzle. These organizations now want to make sure their clients that they're paying the money for in terms of marketing dollars, they want to make sure that client has a great experience. So what they're doing is they're sending those clients to groups like mine to ensure that that client experience is top notch because quite frankly, they have their reputation on the line now. And I know you know this, Tracy, but that's the whole thesis of Flex. Flex is, hey, we had agents that were paying all this money for leads and only 48% of them picked up the phone when a client wanted to talk to them and you're paying for it. And what ended up happening was Zillow said, this is brand risk. Like We can't have people not picking up the phone if they're contacting them through Zillow uh, that leaves a bad taste in our mouth. So they they pivoted their entire strategy because the consumer wasn't getting serviced. And so now with Flex, as an example, agents are beholden to Zillow's expectations and guidelines. And if you don't meet those, you're gone. And so it's about a better consumer experience. But this is the future of real estate, B2B. I mean, it, it, and it's not stopping and it's only going to get bigger. And so why do you think more um, brokerages or teams don't do the same thing that you're doing? Well, I don't think brokerages do because they're not built that way. Most aren't. Uh, almost all of them aren't, right? Like you're not going to go to, you know, no offense to anybody, but you're not going to go to Coldwell Banker and say, hey, you know, what they have though is they have agents that qualify for some of their programs and they happen to be in a distribution pool. So for example, if, you know, I don't know, say, you're, say your local Berkshire branch has a relationship with Cardis for Relo, 
they'll send it to the Berkshire branch. They'll give it to whatever agents may qualify for that account. Now, a lot of times, so first of all, there's not enough business because one, there's no training around it. There's no campaigns. There's no tech built around B2B. Just like in brokerage, if you join a brokerage, it's not like they have, you know, for team leaders, what they give them is they give them a different economic plan and they say, go build it yourself. You know, like they don't have a wireframe and, and everything necessary to be a very productive team. It's the same thing when it comes to referrals, you know, and a lot of times brokers use those referrals as recruiting tools. Hey, come on over. I'll give you some leads. And the problem is it's not managed properly. And the, and the problem is with big box brokers is there's a lot of layers to it. You know, they're all regionals and then they have their divisions and like there's corporate and then there's the branches and they all run differently. So it's really hard. And that's where, because we built this from the ground up as a referral partner and as a servicer, we, our entire company is based off of a, a B2B platform. And so for us to take a new partnership plug them in, build the campaigns, create awareness and training with our agents. That's what we do all day, every day. So it's just, it just happens to be our niche. Okay. So in your referral business, you know, especially particularly with lenders, where do you find, do you find that they refer to you more or you refer to them more? Like what is that mix um, of referrals? Yeah. So most of our lending partners are really big organizations. And so they don't come to you and say, hey, we got business for you. Give us business back. Uh, they would never lead that way. Their, their, their main goal is client experience and to ensure that that client has a great experience and working with their loan officers to make sure that the client is doing everything they can and we are doing everything we can to help facilitate that under one transaction, right? Um, that's the main goal. More of your regional loan officers want that reciprocation. And unfortunately for us, we're not in that business of, of local, regional. We have major institutions that we do business with. And of those institutions, our agents utilize them um, on their own business or their fallout business um, because that's what good partners do. But it's, it's too hard now because you know we're driving, I don't know, 6,000 referrals a month. And the majority of them come from seven or eight big partners. And so for us to take a small little, you know, lending group, like your local fairway branch and say, let's partner up. It just doesn't work because I know I'll fail them and I'll fail them because my model isn't built around reciprocation. It's built around client experience. So if you want to enhance your capture rate, if you want to have a great agent and a trusted agent, we're the group. But if you're looking for that one-to-one or two-to-one, we just, we don't have it. Okay. And so what makes a good partnership for you? Like what, um, you know, what advice do you have or lessons learned do you have for others who might be interested in kind of um, working more of this business referral or B2B? Yeah, I would say that what we have is scalability. You know, we have the ability because it, it doesn't matter to us if you're an agent in Seattle or Miami or New York City or Austin, Texas. The process is identical for every single agent we have. And that's the problem, I think, Tracy, that team leaders have when they go to want to expand and they're like, hey, I'm in San Diego. I want to go to Phoenix. You didn't build a centralized system and platform around putting everybody, no matter where you are, it's all the same. Because if you don't have consistent messaging and training and development and 
everything that someone's doing isn't reproduced time and time again in the sense of there's nothing different that ever happens at this company. The only thing that's different is where does that referral say it needs to go? It needs to go to Vegas, ship it to Vegas. Everything else is the same, except an agent in Vegas will work that referral. Um, but a lot of team leaders struggle because they say they want an expansion team in a new market, but they haven't built the proper foundation for growth because even in their own local market, they most most don't even have their systems and tools where it needs to be to grow in their own market, let alone expanding in other states. Because state growth is harder than interstate growth. And what I mean by that is it's a lot easier to start a team. If you have a team in San Diego, it's pretty easy to go up to the OC or it's pretty easy to go to LA. It's pretty easy to go into Riverside. You can go up to San Fran because it's all under the state of California. So you can still only have one broker, one marketplace leader, and all these agents. Where things get challenging is when you start opening up new states, because every state is different. Every state needs a broker. Every state or or major MSA within that state needs a market leader. And there's nuance to each state. So expansion teams within state are much easier than expansion teams out of state. But a lot of people bite off more than they can chew at first. And, um, you know, and for us, like I said, by the end of June, we'll have 36 states that we're operational in. We've washed, wrenched, repeated so many times. We just know how to do it at this point. But that was a huge, huge hurdle, you know, and, and, and you got to hit the road. You know, I was on the road so much trying to build and meet the right people. It takes time. And and so tell me a little bit about that system. That, you know, what is your vetting of agents? Like how, um, how do you ensure that they're going to provide that customer service that you're looking for with your, that you've promised really your referral partners? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, you know, we have in the, we call it network certified model. You have to qualify, which means you have to have closed at least 12 transactions the past 12 months and been in business for two years. And so that's the ante to play. And then from there, it's our training. So we have a month onboarding process where you're learning, we call it JMG core, and that's learning tech, our marketing department, social department, um, coaching, uh, our mission control department, which manages the lead flow, our call center, which is doing the lead follow-up for everybody. So there's a lot of different segments within our business. And, um, and you know, we're, you know, at this point, you know, this year we're on pace to do about 4.7 billion in sales. And again, 90% of that's B2B. So you're talking over 10,000 transactions of which 9,000 are going to be from partnerships. And so, you got to make sure everything clicks and everything talks to one another and an agent needs to know how all that works. So it is a learning curve for an agent to come to JMG because it's not like you just say, Hey, I'm going to go to EXP, show me the back office and I can go sell houses. It's different. And then from there we have partner training that's called network certification training. So you have core training. That's every agent at JMG. And then if you're a referral agent, you go through network certification training. That process is learning about partnerships, understanding um, all the rules and accountability from each different partnership, because not every agent's on every partnership. It's not possible. And so it's determining what partnership they're going on, training them on those partners. And then every month they have a coaching call with who's running that account to make sure any updates that that partner has, any new things coming to the market, performance reviews, uh, they they have a call, whatever program you're on, every month you'll have an update call. So if you're on four programs, four partners, you're going to have four monthly calls going over those partnerships. 
And that's how we ensure accountability. Our BI tells us everything we need to know on closing ratios, who's performing in each market, who are top performers, who are not performing so we can cut them. We cut people all the time because if you're in the bottom 10, 15%, we call it restacking the talent. We just reshuffle the deck with newer agents. So um, there, there's a process to everything we do. Yeah, that's really interesting. And like, I mean, there had to been some trial and error building that process. Can you maybe describe a, a time, and this could be like your aha moment even, where you realized, okay, this is not going to scale well. I, I need to change this. And really there was that, I, I know most leaders have a lot of aha moments, but maybe one that really stood out in your mind um, when you were building your company. Well, I had five this morning, so we can start with today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think the one rule that I learned is that not everyone's a great leader. You know, if we open a market with the wrong leader, we will get crushed. If we open it with the right leader, we will, we will succeed. And the growing pains, like, for example, my first leader in L.A., he ended up stealing over $300,000 in referral fees. And we didn't find out about it until uh, what the partner that it was taken from was like, hey, we haven't been paid on like 40 transactions because a lot of our partners take referral fees. And I'm like, wait, what? And so I looked and his name was Paul. I don't care if I call him out. Um, but you're just like, whoa, wait a minute, man. Like, how short sighted are you? And then. We had, uh, we had multiple markets when we were launching where you trust people and you think they're doing a good job and you come to find out that they're just not the right leader. Now, I feel we're in a world now where we know the right avatar of leader, but I still think like any company, we make mistakes every now and then. But I think we do a much better job today than we did before um, because we know the right questions to ask. Um, and you get a feel for it over time, like, are they going to be a good fit? We also layer it by regional. So uh, in the 34 states, there's a regional president that's responsible for, call it seven, eight states per regional. And then each of those states have a division president um, within there. And so now we have more, and then we have a CSO now that manages all of it. And so there's more layers of accountability and more layers of protection to make sure people are doing their job. But leadership to me is the one thing that I don't care who you are, if you're going to grow anything, if you don't have the right leaders in place, at some point it'll break or at some point you're just going to do it all on your own. And what's the point of having a leader if you're the one that's going to be doing all the work? And you got you to gotta be able to trust your own process. So um, I would say it's all leadership, a lot of mistakes. I don't want to say a lot, but we certainly made mistakes putting the wrong people in, in, in places that we did. So other than being able to spot a criminal, um, what are some of those leadership what have you learned makes a good leader and how, how do you discover that? One is when, communication. When communication is so critical. Are you available? Are you communicating? Are you paying attention? You know, like for us, number one will always be communication because our partners want the highest level of communication. And whether that's good or bad, like, you know, if you got bad news, you got bad news. Like you didn't get the deal done. That's fine. But don't sit on it. Um, and then communicating with agents so agents understand what the expectations are. You know, you know we, have a, we have agenda calendars for our division presidents. So every two weeks, there's a biweekly huddle, um, making sure that you're hosting your huddle, you're filling, out your, you're filling out your reports, monthly huddle, going over the previous month's numbers, making sure you're paying attention to your agents. Um, it's those that just coast, right? They're, they get an override, they get bonused out. 
they're also in production and they decide when they want to look at things or when they want to govern. You know, when you take that leadership role, it's leadership first, production second. Um, and there's been growing pains with that too. Communication is the big one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I want to kind of talk about the this teamerage concept because I feel like it's really, um, I don't know, it's really come into its own. I've heard so much about it and even... Even um, just seeing the progression of the real estate rankings, um, you know, the the thousand and nation's best or um, America's best that that real trends does, um, you know, I think we kind of loosely identified a team ridge as having a profit margin of 50 percent compared with a brokerage per se. Um I don't know how, you know, there, there are a lot of ways you could probably define it differently than that. But, um, you know, we, we've done some research on that concept as well. Um, and most of it has to do with lead generation. A team leader it has a system for lead generation. But what are, what are your thoughts on the concept and what are you seeing the industry right now? Um, I don't think it should be based on a percentage of margin. I mean, we don't take 50%. We, we take less than that, but I take less than that because I don't want to lose agents, right? Uh, even on self-gen, we're super generous on agent self-gen business. But there is a difference between company gen versus self-gen in terms of the split. Um, but I don't think it should be based on percentage because not everybody operates their economics in the same way. And the ones that are actually more generous are doing better than the ones that are being more greedy um, because deals aren't as prevalent as they were over the past three years uh, in terms of per agent. I think that it's about... If you're at a brokerage and you're identified as a team leader, that you just simply have, you know, your team contracts and that everybody rolls up through your umbrella. I think that people go to teams for a number of reasons. I think newer agents go there because they want more support because a lot of brokers don't provide a ton of support. It might not be for leads. It might be just because I need to learn. Um, They may want mentors. And so, you know, when they start doing business, they take a little bit more of an override, but they get a mentor on the team. When you talk about lead gen, I think that's the cherry on the top, right? Like if you can find a team that has leads, but here's the difference though, Tracy, is that a lot of team leaders I speak to where they make a mistake is they feel like they're doing their agents a favor by buying them leads or having a lead channel. And a lot of times what they're buying or what they're supplying is garbage, and the agents eventually don't want to work them. You know, I've had so many team leaders that say, well, I, you know, I don't know what their problem is. They get 100 leads a month. Well, where are you getting the leads from? Well, they're Google, well, they're Google or they're Boomtown or they're, they're leads that close at like less than 1%. And my response to them is, well, you're not working them. So what do you want them to do? Clean, go through your mess and hopefully find gold. And when they get gold, they give you 50% of the gold that they find, even though they did all the work. And it's like, so it's not about, are you giving leads? Are you giving true quality opportunities? That's like for us, you know, our, our national closing rates, 21%. And so one out of five referrals we give closes. And when you have those numbers of knowing, I don't got to call hundred people to get three people in the car and hopefully one buy um, that allows efficiency for agents and it allows them to do what they want to do. And that's sell houses. If you are trying to turn a real estate professional into a telemarketer, you're going to lose everybody, but you should have your ISAs providing 
scrubbed quality vetted clients to the agents before you just so the model becomes that's fine you want to buy leads like that great but you got to have somebody vetting those leads out before you give them to an agent in the field are you willing to have that additional spend to your campaign to do so so it really is how team leaders govern their own stuff because a lot of times they have a jaded perspective on what they think is value and what really isn't value. In fact, you would argue that a lot of times it's a disservice. Well, and so what do you think are some mistakes that brokers are making um, as it relates to teams? You know, I've talked to brokers who are completely, they don't want any teams at their brokerage. And then I've talked to brokers who embrace teams and really partner with them rather than treat them as, you know, another agent or a top agent. They, they treat them as a true business. Um, so what do you feel like are some things brokers can, can do to better facilitate that relationship and, or, or are there some things that they're not doing that they should be? You know, to me, getting good teams, it like, I love, we have, we love our team model and we do because if you get good teams under your organization, they really manage themselves. The only thing we got to provide is great technology for reporting and visibility for their for their agents and making sure that, you know, we provide a good culture. But you also got to give them a good economic split. If you're a team at JMG, it's 95.5 with a 30K cap and then there's transaction fees. But we're super generous on that because teams do their own thing. And as long as they stay compliant, you don't really got to manage a whole lot. Agents are harder to manage in teams because team leaders hopefully do the management for you. So we encourage teams. We love having teams. We have some big teams. Um, and so uh, it's really important though that what brokers need to understand too, when you bring a team over, it's just like an agent though too, Tracy. Like what I say is the minute that you start bringing people into your team, JMG is basically just a big team, right? Um we have a responsibility that we can help you and that we can provide value, more value than you have elsewhere or what you had before. And part of that value is their brand. You know, a lot of brokerage that have teams, they don't even allow them to have their team branding. Well, if I'm a team leader, I'm leaving that place right away because quite frankly, if you're not going to let me build my own brand name, I can't be associated with this as long as we're in compliance, right? And legal. But I, as an agent, you know, I was the number one agent in Arizona in 2016, 17, and 18, right? And so I was at a brokerage that allowed me to to brand me. They didn't care about the brokerage. They cared about me. And that's who I wanted because nobody even knew who my home group was when I was in the field selling. They didn't care about my home group. They wanted Jason Mitchell because Jason Mitchell has a track record. So it was my brand. And I was fortunate enough to be with a brokerage that allowed me to have that. But there's a lot of brokerages that don't. It's about the brokerage, then the agent, or then the team name. And I don't know why. Like, there's no egos here. It's all about selling houses, right? Like, the egos have got to go out the window. That's why, you know, the Jason Mitchell group, you know, it always used to be the Jason Mitchell group, JMG. It's just JMG. Like, no one needs to know what it stands for. It's like EXP. No one needs to know what it stands for. Who cares? Like, I don't have an ego in this. I just want to provide a ton of value to our agents and to our teams. But there's a lot of still, I think we're weeding through it. There's just a lot of old school mentality right now out there still, you know, old traditional style brokerage that, I mean, you can see it. Look, 
I, when, when, when Compass loses $100 million a quarter and these, co- these major companies are losing all this money and they have more tools and systems than the traditional brokerage in your local area, I mean, at some point, you can't afford to run traditional brokerage because you can't keep up. And so what they do is they fold in. You know, They'll find uh, other brokerages in their market center to fold into or do a little acquisition or something like that. It's a very challenging business running brokerage. Very challenging because – you have, and I think this actually changes all these. There's a lot of companies that have the hundred percent models now with very little transaction fees. And I can tell you at some point those will go away because they can't keep the lights on. Like you have an agent has to understand if you go to a hundred percent brokerage, ask yourself, what do you expect to get? Because if you expect to get the world, I, that's just unrealistic expectations. Now, if you join a brokerage like that's 70-30 or 80-20, yeah, they're taking a little cut from your commission. And the only question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth it? Like, are the tools, systems, and support and everything they provide you, is it worth the 20%? Is it worth the 15%? Is it worth the 30%? See, for us at JMG, we're 80-20 on self-gen, but you're going to get 100 plus referrals a year to add to your book of business and close an extra 25-30 deals. I'll do that deal all day long. I wish that was out there when I was in the field. That's our bread and butter. But other companies that are offering that have splits 20, 30% with the broker owner has to ask themselves, can we justify that? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know the value prop. I think it's easier for niche companies like the Douglas elements of the world to have that kind of carve out because it's very niche. You know, they're in LA, they're in San Francisco, or New York City, Miami. These are very niche markets that service a very high-end clientele for the most part. So like, like uh, my friend Mark McLaughlin, when he sold Pack Union, that's a very niche company. So there's a reason Compass bought them at, at such a good multiple because Mark was charging 20, 30% to the agents, but it was worth it to them because they had a brand. So it just really depends. But, you know... Everybody, agent and broker owner, need to take a good look. Agent needs to say, is what I'm paying worth it and am I happy? And the broker needs to take a good look and say, am I, am, is what I'm charging bringing a value of where I can have an honest opinion with myself and say, well, that should be worth it. Yeah, and not all 100% companies are the same either. I mean, there's a 100% company like Remax, which is not a low fee 100%. Like there are low fee 100%. Um, so there is a, a little bit of a distinction between them. Um, but the, the, the low fee brokerages have climbed the rankings of the real trends 500, um, you know, in the past probably five to eight years. Um, so, so, you know, there are, there's no new business model. Let's put it that way. Everything is a, the same business model with a tweak or, uh, you know, just oh. a, Totally. hundred percent. Now, now here's what I asked though, is that in those models, you know, just cause you're selling a bunch of houses doesn't mean you're making money. Right. And, you know? And so like, it's tight. I, I know I was a partner at my home group and when I left there in 2000, end of 2018, we had over 3000 agents and the company didn't make that much money. And so, well, let me say this, the company made good money. But it wouldn't make what you, had, what you may think 3,000 agent brokerage makes because when you have that kind of agent, you need a lot of support. 
and you need a lot of tools and systems. And so, look, every brokerage is different where I agree with you 1000% is it's just like one little tweak to say, oh, we're real. Oh, we're the like, hey, and that's great. If it works, it works. That, I don't think that ever changes. I just think that what agents need to ask themselves is, take, my, take our business, for example. We're on the front line of receiving an incredible amount of referrals from the people that spend the most money in America to drive consumers to buy real estate, right? Well, agents can't compete with that. You can't spend, you can't outspend them. And so as the consumer gets harder to get to, how are agents going to find more ways to do business? And that's what I think your notion of when we see teams expand, it's because teams have a lot of these relationships to give agents the ability to add to their book of business. But at some point, if you're an agent, I mean, even, even think about this, Tracy, two years ago, you could go to any Zillow market and buy leads from Zillow. You can't buy leads from Zillow anymore. You can't buy leads from realtor.com anymore. Like you almost can't buy real estate leads anymore because they're owning their own channels. And that makes the consumer harder to get to for an agent. So you got to ask yourself if you're an agent and you know, it's going to get harder to get to the consumer. What are your alternatives? Your alternatives are trying to partner with groups, joining teams, getting better at doing more open houses to get in front of consumers, working your past client book of business to get to consumers. But it's harder. It's harder to get to people now than it ever has been. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, the other thing I've really seen is just this proliferation of platforms um, to facilitate teams. Um, they're all over the place now. Um, what I think like Livian and Place and um, Side and, right, yep. you know, all, all different, different ones. Um, on the brokerage side, what I've noticed with, with some of the low fee companies is they really rely heavily on title. Um, oh, yeah, to yeah. boost their, their margins in that. Um, cause they're not going to get into real estate. Yeah. But think about this, Tracy, you know, you're right. First of all, you're, you're exactly what it is. They rely on affiliated services to provide revenue to the bottom line, but here's the deal. If I'm not helping my agent build their book of business, they're not going to use who I asked them to use. If I'm giving you a bunch of business and I say, but use these people, you're going to say, or use this title company, you're going to say, sure, I'll fight for title because you're helping me build my business. A normal traditional brokerage that has JV mortgage, JV title, warranty, insurance. Like if you're not helping that agent add to their business, they're not going to use your companies. Why? Because you happen to be an agent at their brokerage. Who cares? I didn't. When I was at my home group, I didn't use who they asked me to use. I used who I used because they're the ones helping me build my business. So you can have affiliates, but you got to be able to give somebody something in order for them to say, I'll buy into using that affiliate because we, we have a symbiotic relationship here. Yeah. And that's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, that's why capture rates are so low. I mean, title is, is a little bit higher just for the mere fact that title isn't something generally consumers shop for. Um, so, you know, I think that those capture rates are, are a bit higher than something like mortgage or, or others. Um, but yeah, I, I just find that, um, you know, everything in real estate changes so much, but then doesn't change at all because the basics are always the same. The relationships, the recruiting, the, you know, retention, the, you know, the services, um, the services might change, might 
evolve. Um, but, but yeah, the actual, um, you know, really it comes down to relationships and customer service. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll tell you what I will, if I have a relationship, let's say I have a relationship with a great escrow officer. Great. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that escrow officer on my deals. But if all of a sudden somebody starts sending me a bunch of referrals or business that I can continue to do more and more and more business and they say, hey, we'd like you to maybe use this title company instead. I'm leaving that relationship because I have to grow my book of business. But if you're not giving me that, I'm not leaving my relationships. There's no way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we're, we're running a little bit short on time, but I'm gonna, I want to get through the rest of these questions. So we're going to go a little bit longer. Um, where do you see the most opportunity for brokers and team leaders um, today? I think team leaders are going to continue to be a major part of the shift in real estate if they have their stuff together. Um, like being a team lead, just, just cause you want to start a team and say, Hey, I'll coach you. Like, that's not, that's not a team. Is it a true team? And I think true teams, and there are some really good ones out there. I think they continue to grow and thrive. And I think you're going to see this expanded team model throughout the country as well, because there's going to be a lot of agents that need opportunity to grow. There's going to be a lot of small broker owners that say, it's not worth me having the doors open and me paying all this legal and everything that I do. I'll just join forces with this. I think you see a consolidation of the really small mom and pop brokers. I really do. Now, where they go, I, I, I don't know where they go. I think the big box brands continue to do well. I think that at some point, they have to find ways to not bleed cash. And I think even... Even as a, like, I'll use us as an example. We had a record April and we'll have a record May. We'll do 850 transactions in May. Now, the difference is I'm not trying to be EXP and I'm not trying to be Keller Williams, right? Like, I don't want 30, 40, 50, 60,000 agents. That's not our model, okay? But think about how much easier it is to manage that with five, 600 agents and do that kind of production and have that kind of net profit. Everything just is easier. I think that. These big box brokerages have to find ways, just like you said, to get their agent to buy into other resources that they can capitalize and make money on. I mean, I think that's what Wall Street banks on. I think Wall Street banks on the fact that EXP has 90,000 agents. They're not making money in real estate transactions, but at some point they're going to figure out these 90,000 agents, how to make them more money elsewhere to add to their bottom line. Because if you just rely on, on, on commissions, you're going to get smoked. I mean, it doesn't, we know this, it doesn't work. You, you have to have other avenues of, of business. You have to, whether that's solar, home security, JV mortgage, JV title, all that stuff. Um, and also you got the CFPB out there wondering, are a lot of these agreements working and are they fair? So even with those, you know, you caution to the wind, like you got to do it right. I think we've weeded out. I think what the past year has done is it took a lot of part-time agents and said, I got to go get a real job. Can't, can't do real estate anymore, or those agents that were doing two, three deals a year, four or five deals a year. Like we lost a lot of agents, but we lost the right agents. And we lost the right agents because they clearly weren't the truest of true professionals because they can't hack it when times get a little harder. And so the market share of agents should enhance this year. They should see that as people drop out, they get more opportunities. Um, so I like the consolidation of our business right now. Um, I saw a stat, and you know the stats better than I do, 
that this was the first year since 2008 NAR uh, had less memberships, I think, than what does that go to tell you? Real estate's hard. Like, stop looking at Josh and Matt Altman and Ryan on TV and Tarek, my buddy Tarek, and saying, this is so easy. They just make 200 grand on that house. It is hard. It's so hard. And I'll tell you this, though, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you work your butt off, it actually isn't that hard. If you just outwork people, it really isn't hard. And every year it will get better. So it's the people that look at the mindset of real estate as, you know, when you say, hey, my first year, I want to do five million in production. Great. But then if you say next year, I want to do 30 million. That's an unrealistic expectation. Like real estate is a ramp. It's three, six, nine, 15, 20, 30. Like it's years and years of building your book of business. And that's what I think the, the really the sweet spot of the JMG model is, is that, hey, we take a nice cut on, on the company gen business. But guess what? If we had 30, 40 deals a year to your book, those 30 or 40 people are going to start referring you, their friends and family. And in year two and in year three and in year four, we keep adding, they keep sending. We build this book of business for people unlike any other place out there. It just it's still got to put in the time and effort, right? But if you're not willing to get yourself up in the morning and say, I'm going to do four or five hours of an open house today and... I'm not going to just go to the office and have a coffee and check some email and maybe I'll go do a lunch with a title company. Like that is not a day. That's not a day. A day is, are you, mar- how many people can you talk to that know that you do real estate? That's it. And having the communication skills to um, make those relationships without being overbearing as a, like, you know, like I think one of the biggest mistakes agents make when they call, they cold call or call, you know, even past clients or people they've done business with is they say, Hey, do you know anybody who wants to sell? Or, you know, anybody who's looking for a home? I think that immediately turns people off. They're just like, Oh, that's why you're calling me rather than, you know, actually have something of value to offer them. And like, Hey, did you know you're in your neighborhood? Homes are up, you know, X number percentage, blah, blah, blah. And Leave it at that because they'll remember you and they will refer you. You know, one of the things that I did that I thought I talk about sphere becomes critically important in this business and sphere of those that have influence, not influence like Instagram or TikTok or any of that garbage. What I'm talking about is if you work with somebody that is a director, if you work with somebody that has influence at their organization, my next step is to get into that organization. Now, forget about the referral partners. I'm talking in generality. Like, So for example, when I started working with Quicken, I started working with a lot of their loan officers. I would sell them their personal homes out here in Phoenix. And what I would do when they closed, they would have balloons, a great welcome closing gift. And people would be like, oh, you bought it. What happened? You bought a home, this and that. And guess what I would do? Every month, every month, I would buy the office lunch. And it would cost me three grand, four grand. But you know what? Every time I bought that office lunch, six, seven, eight people. Hey, I know you helped Ollie. Hey, I know you helped Brian. Hey, I know you helped Nate. Like I never even met these people. They're calling me, but they're calling me because they know I've helped multiple people there and I'm present. You don't have to call your past client. The only thing you need to say is, hey, I'm just checking in. I know that, you know, I'll use Ruby, my daughter's name. I know that Ruby's going into first grade next year. I just want to see what school she's going into. How are things? I'm not asking for a referral. You know why? Because when they hang up the phone, 
They know it's me. They know what I do. I don't need to ask, do you have any friends or family that I can help? That's so tacky. It really is. Like just your presence alone knows. I would always do events. Every quarter, I would do events for my past clients. And so whether I did a big movie night, a big happy hour, and the only reason I did that was because they would come to the event. And if they happen to go to dinner the next weekend with their friends or family that said, hey, I'm thinking about selling my house, I'm top of mind because they were just with me. But people don't do these things. They, they don't. They, they, well, they, they say they do, but here's, here's what I always say. What's the agenda? What's the plan? What does that mean? Every quarter, you should have your own marketing plan that you stick to. If you're farming an area, what's that marketing plan look like? What's your past client marketing campaign look like? And you stick to it. And those that stick to the plan are the ones that succeed. It's those that try something once and say, well, that didn't go that well. I'm not doing it again. Well, what is that? You know, so consistency. Yeah, I had I had one, um, you know, I've been writing about real estate since I graduated college, which is a long time ago. So <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, and there is a couple who who sell in, you know, near my neighborhood and her, their kids went to school with my kids. Um, and every time they call, they act like I'm a stranger. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to use you if you don't even realize that our kids went to school together, if you don't even care enough to find that out. Or you don't, you know, you don't care to even know that I was the editor of the state magazine in the state that you, you know, you're, you're reading this every day, then I, you know, I don't, I don't, maybe that's going a little too far. I wouldn't really expect them to know that, but like our kids go to school together. I would expect them to know that. Um, and, and I just think those are just small little things that you can, you know, just a note in your seat, your, you know, your, your database is all you need to remember that. You know, the other thing though, too, you know? is that what still will always hold true in my opinion, you can dominate a local area and be very, very successful. You don't, you don't need to be the best in the state, the best in your County, the best in your city. You can take, a, you can take a couple neighborhoods and you can make an entire lifetime of living if you're really good at that neighborhood. We have people here in, in Arizona, like Arcadia is an example. It's a very nice neighborhood, but it's small. There's a guy named Robert Jaffe. And since I got started, he just dominates that area. And he does 100 plus million a year in production, right? Uh, it doesn't matter where you live. There's pockets that, here's what happens though. Everybody says that they want to do that, this and that. They don't stick to the plan. If you say, hey, I want to dominate this area where I live, and you actually spend time, effort, energy, you're doing your open houses there, your marketing campaigns, newsletters, churches, events. It's not going to happen in a year, but you'll start to get business within that year. And what ends up happening is it takes one or two or three listings, a couple sales, and people start to pay attention because you're telling them to pay attention. And then you can slowly start to take over these areas. It's consistency. When you look at the best realtors in in an area, most of them have an area they specialize in still to this day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go to the last question since, since we've been on for so long. Um, tell me what does the future hold for JMG? You know, we want to continue to build partnerships and we have a lot of runway because even though we're in 34 States, we only have about 45% of our MSAs covered right now. And so uh, we're very scalable at this point. 
And we want to continue to enhance our, we put, we're launching our new tech platform uh, that we built internally. It's been about a 16 month process. We put many, many millions of dollars into it actually. Um, But this efficiency within our agent population of, so within this new tech, it, we don't need Skyslope anymore. We built it. We don't need national home search anymore. We built it. So, uh, and then transaction management, reporting, everything under one uh, simple sign-on, one one user sign-on has everything that you need. And so I'm really excited to launch that in July. So providing our agents with more and more valuable tools so they can be better equipped, better agents, and then providing our partners with the best agents on the ground and opening more market centers that they can trust us in those markets to do business. And that's, that's where we need to be. Um, well, Jason will also be speaking at the gathering of Eagles coming up in June. So I look forward to meeting you in person and um, thank you so much for joining the real trending podcast. You're the best Tracy. Thanks for everything. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.